Pay your dues and sew your name patch on your jacket. It's time for the 27 Club, the world's only podcast about the group so exclusive you have to die to get in. Hosted by fan club president Pete and Treasure. And, and fan club vice also, president? Also the president, PJ. Co-president. Okay, yeah. co-president. I forgot our arrangement. We're in our co-presidents. You know, I don't know that we ever came up with an arrangement. I was a treasurer no. for a bit. I wanted to be... No, I didn't want to be vice president because it was too much responsibility. No. I just wanted to say my own name. Now I'm afraid yeah. you're going to steal that from me every week. That's okay. Uh, I will do my best to not do that, I guess. I, it's, it's, you know, I will you've add said that. it in the past and I've been scorned, Pete. Look, I will add that into the introduction of my notes at this moment. Let Parentheses, let introduce himself, end parentheses. Thank you. Treasure, PJ. <laughs> Damn it. All right, we'll talk about the ranks next week. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how that made it, honestly, into the note. For, it was it was like a, a two week bit that I was planning on doing and now it's stuck around so that's all right. Um, speaking of bits, I was sure. telling you that I had something to talk about before the show. Um, mm, you did not say it was a bit though, so if you didn't prepare me, no 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 no, no. this is not a bit. bit. I just want oh, to okay, talk okay. about the state of our podcast. <laughs> there are some times where it is so the hard to what's next. edit stuff out of this show. Because it will either so be funny. one of us referencing something and then sure. like moving on. And then the other person is like furiously Googling it. And then the other person starts talking. And then halfway through what they're saying, the other person will go, well, actually about that thing you said earlier. And yeah. it happens so often. There's like parts where I'm like, oh, I could edit this whole part out. And then I can't because. Yeah. Because there's the delay. Yeah. Um, and it it's Damn. not one of us doing it. It's both of us doing it to the other person right? basically Constantly. all the time. And then we will then reference that thing six more times throughout the show. <laughs> so you really have to leave it in. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's, uh, there's a lot I would love to leave on the cutting room floor, and then I just can't. Sure. So, folks, I guess what the, what this is really the upshot of this is if you – if you love this show, just know that we wish like at least 20 minutes per episode didn't exist. <laughs> it sounds like, or at least PJ. I think we're slinging great tent here. I think we're riding high. We're one of the top podcasts today. Um, yes. I believe we're like right now number five in Iran. So that's pretty amazing. Fuck yeah, dude. Um, yeah. So um, I'm, I'm not saying that any of the content is bad. Uh, what I'm saying mm-hmm. is that... Um, I just can't edit out like two minutes of furious typing while the other person <laughs> just talks about whatever sure. um, because sure. it, it will come up later, you know? I see. Yeah. Well, I mean, not to Like, I'm disparage. not going to go through and edit the ums out, but I would love to go no. back and edit out the uh, this noise. I would do it yeah. on my actual keyboard, but I don't want to type. So Sure. Okay. Yeah, I don't want to stop a recording or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you can add that in post really loud click clack. Yeah. (laughs) Um, yeah, I mean, I don't want to like disparage the art form as a whole, but I do think a significant part of podcasting is people Googling things while they're recording. This is correct. It's just uh, usually I think, you know, we used to have interns on this show. Yeah. Uh, we haven't had one this run. Yeah. uh, Well, ever since big boy went back out on tour without cast. Right. 
He went back on tour. Takashi Six Nine disappeared again. So I guess I guess he's actually under uh like witness protection now. I don't know honestly what happened. He just didn't show up one day, and we've never been able to contact him. But our our um intern like employment office, you know that we that we get temps from for it's the interns. We uh we yeah. made ourselves a nonprofit um right. so that we could get you know dumb oh for sure we're yeah Yeah. we're taking all this out in our taxes yeah um and you know with americorps you have to like provide them with a place to live or give them like more salary for cost of living and i've got a cot set up in my garage that anybody is welcome to come sleep Mm -hmm. on as long as they go through the proper methods and go through americorps so we don't actually have to pay them that's right i think that's a good idea um, so we're working on getting it set up. Uh, I think, you know, we're also kind of at the same time, the fan club, I really think could become sort of a, like, you know, just again, for tax purposes, like probably a religious organization of some kind. So if yeah, we get there, so. then we'll probably, you know, start incorporating more people. Cause again, we can pay them, but that's just all tax exempt. And, you know, we can just start taking donations and so that'll be really good. How is every podcast that's on Patreon not making themselves a religious organiza- organization since so they can't be taxed on any of those donations? Ah, do the you can just Kanye call the Patreon method. a donation. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so we're, look, basically what I'm trying to say is we're working on it. We're internless at the moment. So for now, you might hear some typing. And I don't think that's a reflection on you, PJ, on your poor editing skills. I don't think that's a reflection on... <laughs> It is the, a reflection on how loud your keyboard in specific is. But it's a reflection on how loud apparently my keyboard is, which is weird because I have one of those. It's not a Mac, but it's that style keyboard where it's very, very flat against my laptop. PJ, too. He has yeah. an extra. He but has mine the real is Mac quiet. One. That's the thing. I can never right, hear right, myself right. typing. I, don't, I didn't want to throw you under the bus, but I had to, Pete. How close is your microphone to your keyboard? Show me how close it is. I'm going to guess 12 inches. Oh. At most. Interesting. Maybe 10. But I'm going to guess it's about a ruler and length your away. your desk isn't very shaky. I think I just have heavy, I have heavy typing hands. Okay. When Mavis Beacon tried to teach me, I broke the keyboard. And it was like, this kid, too good. What a reference, Pete. I Do you think every, never did yeah. it. I never did oh, the yeah. Mavis Beacon typing. God, I loved them. Educational games were were a stalwart of my childhood. I fear for our children today that don't get to go check out CD-ROMs from the library. Of literally, They only rented out the educational ones, so you would get the... And they were so much fun. All the Magic School Bus games. Yeah. Mavis Beacon. Uh, there was some fish one, a whole series with fish where you're underwater. There was that this was one where it was like a superhero who loved science that we played a lot. Mmm. Uh, do you mean Bible Man? Um, I do remember Bible Man. He's, uh, no, he's a superhero who's really against science, actually. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. right. <laughs> I got it wrong, yeah. Um, you got it wrong. There. Bible Man is something I've tried to bring up with, like, yeah. a lot of people. And they're like, you guys remember Bible Man? And nobody does, so it makes me very happy that you remember Bible Man. Well, yeah, it makes me wonder, you know, as someone who's, uh, a dedicated antenna TV watcher as an adult... <laughs> 
that station, you know, whatever that weird Christian version of PBS, basically, like that station doesn't exist the last couple places I've lived. So I wonder if that's Anaheim only kind of product or just certain locations, you know, we'll, we'll pick up yeah. that network, whatever that was. Yeah, that's a good question. Who played uh, Bible Man? Willie Ames, huh? Wow, Willie Ames. He was in The Odd Couple. <laughs> the remake? No, the original. Whoa. Wait, yeah. how the fuck old is Willie Ames? Was he a child in the original Odd Couple? <laughs> no, it was 1975. Um, he was in... Oh, only one episode. I think he had to have been at... How old is Willie Ames? What does IMDb say he was born? 1960. Oh, so he was 11 when the original... Yeah, when he was on an episode. I thought he was one of the main characters. That's what it made it seem like. Let's I'm see. still impressed, though, because I kind of thought Bible Man was a current show as when to when we were children, so he would have been like almost 40 playing a superhero. Ridiculous. Bible Man was 95 through 2003, so he was 35, 35 to 43. To f- two, three... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. He was also on. He's been a lot of weird stuff. I don't even think he's like one of those weird religious actors like the guy from Hercules is now. I think he did it for the money because nothing else he has done is religious. Yeah. Oh, maybe. I don't know. Hard to tell. Sometimes it's hard to tell. I was going to say, like, they got. Wasn't it Jennifer Garner? Who did whatever that fucking movie was recently where the kid died and like saw heaven and then came back to life and was telling everyone about how he went to heaven for a minute and she's the mom and it's no, a I like weird religious movie. Huh. I thought that was her. Let me let's look it up. But who, I don't know that? how I'm supposed to I don't know how I'm gonna find this. I don't remember the name of the movie. I just remember they'd seen the trailers. So if it's not Jennifer Garner, we're fucked. Um, Kevin Sorbo was Hercules, and he was also in like those God's nice. Not Dead movies, and he's like a weird, oh yeah, 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 Christian conservative actor now. That sucks. You know, right. I could have sworn that it was uh, Kirk Cameron who played Bible Man, but <laughs> apparently it was you Willie Ames. Cobain? Yeah. Uh, let's see. Is it a movie called Miracles from Heaven from 2016? Or is it a movie called A Happening of Monumental Proportions? Honestly, both of those seem right. Well, you're telling me there's more Hell than yeah. one movie yes. with this plot? Okay. Did you nail it? So, okay, so I think this actually... So the movie's called Miracles from Heaven. It's a follow-up from Heaven is for Real, which is actually the movie I was thinking of. So who was in Heaven is for Real, though? anyone famous so heaven is for real is a small town father must try and just must he must find the courage Ooh, and conviction Kinnear. to Great share his son's there. extraordinary life-changing experience with the world because yeah his son like went to heaven for a minute yeah Greg yeah Greg Kinnear he's not a weird Christian actor though I don't not that I know of and it was such because it is such a Christian movie you know it was absolutely just aimed at the exact same people who went and saw that like anti-Obama documentary that came yeah. out but um you got so miracles wonder, from heaven Thomas was Hayden the follow Church up. is also in it what's the what's the I need to know what the okay miracles from heaven is based on the incredible true story of the beam family when Jennifer Garner discovers her 10 year old daughter Anna has a rare incurable disease she becomes a ferocious advocate for her healing as she searches 
for a solution after Anna has a freak accident and extraordinary miracle unfolds in the wake of her dramatic rescue that leaves medical specialists mystified, her family restored, and their community inspired. Wow. I got to wonder, Pete, how much did they pay Greg Kinnear to be in that first one that you were talking about? And how much did they pay Jennifer Garner for that matter? Yeah. Cause and it's also like they're the only it's they're the one famous person. Oh no, never mind. Queen no, Queen Latifah's Latifah's in this in movie. And in the first one, <laughs> Thomas Hayden Church is also in it. Yeah. So there are like a couple other famous people, but not. But then I gotta assume the rest of the people are like weird Christian actors. God, it's so there's so many movies like that. It's pretty sad. I gotta see how much she got paid. She made $150,000 per episode of Alias. $13 million was the budget for Miracles from Heaven. How much of that's going to Garner? Yeah, like half. You gotta think. <laughs> I don't know, man. I mean, because none of that's going to go toward like actual production. That's got to be a pretty low-budget movie. They're shooting it at like the director's local church or some shit. Yeah. <laughs> Like, okay, so then this room can be, like, the school classroom. This room can be, like, the therapist's office. They're, like, the doctor's office. They they spent all of this the budget on... This Bible study on, room can be the living room. Yeah, on set dressing and Jennifer Garner. That's mm-hmm. it. Yeah, catering was just ladies bringing um, casseroles Casserole. from church. <laughs> yeah, there's a, a potluck situation. Jello casserole t- 20 days in a row. And that's what well, Kinnear did the... it for. Kinnear did it for free, but he, he wanted extra casserole. That's right. Yeah, he needed the he needed the Jello uh, casserole with the little marshmallows in it every day. Yeah. Delicious. Um, so welcome to the show. I meant to say that <laughs> right before I you kind of got you immediately started on something, and I was gonna try and welcome people to the show and set up our episode, and then, <laughs> and uh-huh. here we are a few minutes later. Uh, well, welcome to the Twenty Seven Club. We are in. In the wilds of 27 Clubland. Yeah. Uh, just searching. We're, you know, climbing through the mountains, searching for more 27 Club members on our way to Kurt Cobain Peak. And uh, we came across another one. We had Pigpen last week, um, famous uh, not drummer. And uh, now we have another person who's extremely famous for not being a drummer. Uh, we're going to start talking about Pete Ham, uh, a not particularly famous person who was the leader and frontman of a not particularly famous band called Badfinger. Yeah. And his name is also my favorite co-host and my favorite food. That's right. Yeah, we're um we're going to do just it's it it's makes it significantly less funny to set it up on this episode, but we're working on like an audio only version, like kind of a radio play skit style version of the yeah. John Ham's John Ham uh sketch. But yeah. for next episode, but it's going to be Pete's hams, Pete's hams. We, we we're still working it through still, it. Yeah, we yeah. just know, we know the joke is there. We have to figure out where it is, how yeah. to do it over radio, and how to make it funny, yeah. most of all. Well, we'll get Pat and Oswald in here to punch it up. Sure, yeah. yeah. He'll do anything yeah. for a couple of bucks, that guy. <laughs> um, yeah, we'll just tweet at him until he responds, and then we'll consider that official punch up from Pat and Oswald, and we can... <laughs> We can uh, mark him down as a as a contributing writer, producer, even. So sure, yeah, hey, I'd make him an EP on this thing. Why not? Yeah. Um, who do you yeah, think so, the most famous person we could technically get as an EP would be? Uh, uh, Ron Wood's daughter. 
Oh, okay. I was thinking Herb Alpert. <laughs> yeah, Herb, you know, if he, yeah, if he could be an EP without leaving his house, I do think once he realized he wasn't going to get paid, even if it required no work from him, I think he would maybe pull his name from the project. But... Well, we could tell him he'll get 20% of the profits from the show. True, which is yeah, actually, yeah, yeah. he owes me about $8. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, all right, yeah, I'll, I'll shoot him. A t- I'll shoot Herb a text. Just see what's up. Thanks, I'd appreciate that. Have we? Do you think I'm far enough from that job yet for us to text Herb Alpert as part of the show? I really just do hire, think so. Hire, checking in. <laughs> just want to make sure you're well. Any thoughts on the Beach Boys or Rolling Stones? Do you and like just see bad if he texts finger, back. Mr. Alpert? Have you ever met any members of the following bands, and do you have an interesting story to tell? Please text back. Thanks. Bye. <laughs> Oh. Man, I'm tempted. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Maybe you know what? Maybe it's possible that that's a better idea than Pete Pete's ham Pete's hams. Um, so yeah, look for it next episode. Yeah, basically, I can promise next episode is gonna be a real banger instead of this one. Yeah. So that's that's what it sounds like. Yeah. So we're talking bad finger PJ. So I have a. A history with Badfinger that renders me unable to objectively say whether they're famous or not. Ah, uh, they <laughs> because are not. I consider, yeah, okay, because I consider them a pretty famous late '60s, early '70s rock band. And uh, PJ, I think I, I think I can only say that he, he was thoroughly confused when I suggested actually covering Pete Ham as a member of the Twenty Seven Club because it was like, who and how and what band is this again? Why do we care? Yeah. And uh, I was like, Badfinger, the the second most famous Apple signee after James Taylor? <laughs> yeah, well, and my thought was that he was talking about the band Goldfinger, which yeah, was... Yeah, that was a confusing... Uh, yeah. They did a cover of 99 Loof Balloons, and that's basically sure. all I remember them doing. Yeah. Plus, no one knows this, but the guy who played Goldfinger in the movie was actually only 27 at the time. Yeah. He just, you know, people looked a lot older back in the day. That's true. We've, We've talked, talked about, about this before. before. Yeah. Fucking Jim Croce. Gim Gim Croce. Exactly. Is somehow what I was gonna say. Hmm. Um. So <laughs> so it was. Were they the first besides the Beatles signed to Apple? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they were the first signee, and I, I, I think I'd maintain the second most famous after James Taylor. Yeah, give give me a list, and I'll. Uh... Uh, well, off the top of my head, I know James Taylor. I know uh-huh. Badfinger. I know Mary Hopkin. Uh huh. And boy, I feel like there was a soul singer in there. I really want to say there was some soul guy who was signed, but I can't Jackie pull another Lomax. name. Yeah. Okay, Jackie Lomax. Mm-hmm. That's it. I I got nothing else. Okay. They didn't sign all that many people, right? No, 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 no. Because it because it collapsed there. within like three years. <laughs> yeah. Um, Billy Preston. Did he ever uh, get signed with? Yeah, Apple? but did he release any actual albums on Apple? You're right know. that he signed. I'm pretty sure he did sign with album, but I don't or with Apple, but I don't know that any of his records were Apple releases. Let's look that up. Because Billy Preston would. That would he would relegate Badfinger to the third oh, tier. Oh, buddy, it's a longer list than either of you you 
you or I could imagine. Um, let's. So, Badfinger is number one, but that's only because it's alphabetical. Uh, Badfinger, Black Dyke Mills Band, Brute Force, no. Elastic no. Oz, Elephant's no. Memory, Chris no. Hodge, Mary no. Hopkin. Yep. Uh, hot Chocolate. Oh, Hot Chocolate. Oh, wait, really? Yeah. Jesus. Damn. I only know them for their like disco hits, so that's wild they existed Damn. 10 years earlier than that. Um, Jackie Lomax. Uh, modern jazz quartet associated with Ono, uh, and then Yoko Ono, mm. uh, okay. David Peel, Billy Preston. Which Billy Preston did release two albums on Apple Music yeah. or on Apple Records. Um, he apparently, I did not know this, he was the first artist to record My Sweet Lord. Yeah, I just read so, that as well. I've um, never heard his version of that. We'll That's have crazy. to play that. Uh, Ravi Shankar. So okay, now Badfinger's relegated to like fifth, yeah. Or sixth. Um, Ronnie Spector of the Ronettes, Whoa. Weird. Um, Sundown Playboys, a French language Cajun band from Louisiana. Okay, Whoa. we're gonna look them up. Uh, John Taverner, James Taylor, Trash, uh, Doris Troy, uh, Lon and Derek Van Eaton. Um, oh, Delaney and Bonnie. Hmm. Was trash just like they they changed it to garbage? They were like, this name isn't really working out. We got to give this another go. It was originally white trash. Uh, oh, sure. Brought to Apple by Tony Meehan, formerly of The Shadows. Their second single was a cover of Golden Slumbers and Charted. Wow. And uh, that's probably the most famous thing they've ever done. Man. What a wild ride Apple Records must have been. I mean, no wonder they went. Uh, there's a lot of reasons they went under, but reading that list of signees yeah, dude. is also a significant reason they went under. Think about like, how many fucking famous shit. friends all of the Beatles had. Yes. And they only, like, Billy Preston's really the only one who they got to come over. Because, like, James Taylor was a brand new guy. Yeah. You know, like, all the other famous people were pretty brand new, or they were, like, old artists at the end of their career. Like a Doris Troy kind of. Yeah. Um, or at the beginning, like so hot yeah. chocolate. Yeah. Right, right. And so like Billy Preston's the yeah, the only person. This is Sundown Playboys. Hell yeah. Honestly, it, can you guess which Beatle brought them to the Oh man. See, I kinda maybe would guess George, but I'm actually gonna go Paul. Ringo. Whoa. No, I didn't know he had that much that. authority, if I'm being honest. No, even in Apple Records, where they all, I assume, had you know the same stake. Yeah. I cannot believe they would have allowed him to sign anybody. <laughs> this was the one he got, and he... They're pretty good. Hey, he, he nailed <laughs> this it. This is good. Damn. Just like Maureen. Nailed it. No, I got it. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so the fifth most popular. No, uh, we're band. supposed to listen to. Uh, sorry, no, "My Sweet Lord" by Billy Preston. Oh, sorry for. I legitimately thought that pause was you pulling that up. I wasn't trying to <laughs> tank the conversation. <laughs> I I just thought we got real weird for a second, and I was like, "Do you know we're recording?" I did. Oh, you know what? I've heard this.
So was Billy Preston I like this intro. George Harrison's Badfinger? It, it I is guess. Billy Preston to George Harrison as Badfinger is to Paul McCartney? Yeah, I think so. Not as good. No, it's it started out promising and like obviously, you know, Billy Preston doing a gospely My Sweet Lord should be great, but I mean, yes, Billy Preston sounds really great on it. If only it was basically the George Harrison version, but Billy Preston singing, that might be interesting. But I don't... You know, I think he's kind of doing a Stevie Wonder thing. Yeah, I'm like, ditch the gospel choir and just get like a couple like soul backup singers. Yeah. You know, like do do more of like a 50s R&B thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that was going to work a lot better for you, Billy. Take our notes, Billy. Get back to work, bud. Yeah. Okay? Okay? Yeah. And that's nothing from nothing. Yeah, so Badfinger, the 15th most popular act signed to Apple Music. Uh, But I have been a big fan of them for, like, years and years. Like, they were one of my, you know, kind of when I first started getting really into, you know, 60s and 70s music in college. uh, I discovered them and have been really into them for a while. And so I guess, yeah, have kind of a little bit of an outsized view of their you have their fame or or importance to music yeah you you correct me if i'm wrong you have the album we're talking about today on vinyl yes no actually i Mm. just have i think i only have one of theirs a later one on vinyl uh i saw i actually would see magic christian music all the time at the store because it sold pretty well but no one really cares about badfinger anymore So I would see it a, a good amount, but never ended up picking up a copy. Maybe that's what I'm thinking. Maybe I saw it all the time at record stores. It's a pretty common one, yeah. The first time I heard Badfinger was at your apartment when we were both in college, and it was you put oh, nice. on the vinyl record. It would, that would have been No Dice, the follow-up to no dice. Christian music. We'll get to it. Hey, uh, we talked about this a few episodes ago. Totally worth bringing back up. Uh, one of the few albums where you do the gatefold thing, and it's a vertical photo uh-huh. on the outside. Cool, yeah. Of a naked lady. Are you allowed to do those gatefold things if it's not a naked lady? Like, they're all just there's sexy g- ladies. There's got to be something inappropriate in there, I Yeah, think. exactly. Yeah. Because, yeah. like, yeah, the Jimi Hendrix one isn't that, but there are some hot ladies at the bottom, you know? like That's true. Yeah. <laughs> got to include some spank-off material on there somewhere. <laughs> um, got to sell the album somehow, and they're yeah. not going to do it with the music, by God. So... Uh, so anyway, I guess what I'm trying to say about, about Badfinger and Pete Ham here is that I, I would have been perfectly content covering every single one of Badfinger's albums with its own, with its own episode, kind of like The Doors. Uh, but they do actually have six fucking albums, which is crazy. Um, it would have been the longest run with the exception of The Doors that we have on this podcast. So... PJ talked me down. I'm sure every listener is thinking they're lucky stars that we're not doing six episodes on a band they've never heard of up until now. I'm sure there's um, some guy named like Steve who's going to email in and be like, I think you should yeah. actually do that. Oh, yeah. We'll get we'll get a Badfinger fan. Hey, my research for this episode led me to many a forum where Badfinger are talked about as a, a very important band. So <laughs> there's definitely some people who have who have thoughts on Badfinger, but uh yeah so we're gonna we're gonna cover them in a little more compact way but uh yeah let's get let's get a little bit into the the history of pete ham and bad finger so pete ham and the band 
a Welsh band, our first Welsh-based band I think we've ever talked about. Yeah. Wales we've had a few Brits, a couple, uh, you know, Pigpen, uh, famously Irish. Yeah. Uh, same with Jim Morrison, I believe. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, we have our, our first Welsh Manzarek, uh, that's got to be a Polish name. Something, something like that. Yeah. Uh, so he was born in Wales in 1947, uh, not a year we've heard before. Um, so this is making the 27 club thing even more confusing. Uh, so he yeah. grew up in Wales, got into music. I, let me double check the town he was in. So he got into music in the early sixties and like every town in England, in the UK, I mean, including Liverpool and everything. They had a little local music, uh, kind of rock scene there. Liverpool did? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. There's this place, um, Gosh, I used to go to it back in the day to watch this great band, the Silver Beatles, uh, the the ca- the cave, the ca- the cavern, something like that. It's good good place. So uh, Swansea is the town. So he got involved in the Swansea. Got a fucking fly buzzing my mic over here. Hopefully it doesn't ruin the record. We'll see. Um, if I hear a fly so, on the record, Pete. I'm gonna be so mad at you, and we're gonna doing like this an audio Peter Sellers bit where I'm swatting a fly, but you can't hear anything, so it's yeah. not funny at all. Um, so got into music in the '60s uh, with his first band called the Panthers, uh, which eventually changed to the Ivies because there was a street in Swansea called Ivy Street, uh, mm. spelled I V E Y S, because they're yeah. Welsh, so they're weird. Um. So this had Pete Ham and Ronald Griffiths uh, in it, who will be members of Badfinger. And does Ham stand for anything? Is it Pete Hart as a motherfucker? Yeah. Okay. It is. He, yeah, he inspired um, that phrase. Um, So in the mid-60s, they were one of the top local groups in Swansea. Big deal. Kind of like how we're top five in comedy in, you know, Puerto Rico or whatever. Um, one of the top local groups, yeah, opening for big rock bands uh, like The Who, Moody Blues, Yardbirds, et cetera, et cetera, that would, you know, do little UK tours and come through town. So in 1966, the Ivies got a new manager named Bill Collins. He was a real cool guy. He lived in London, swing in London, and said, hey... I'm going to manage you guys. Why don't you come live with me in London? So that always they works packed, out. Yeah. So they packed up all their shit in a lorry um, and drove down nice. to London, unpacked, moved in and figured out that there was actually already another band living at Collins at Bill Collins. Oh, what house. band was it? Do we know the Mojos? Oh, uh, so it ended up being Bill Collins' manager and two of the bands he was managing living together in this little London house, which honestly should That's be awesome. a sitcom. That's like that amazing. should have been like a '70s British sitcom. Oh, you playing my guitar? Yeah, oh, it, like, I thought just, that was me guitar. Yeah, exactly. It yeah, it would have been endless, endless fun for everybody involved. I'm I'm amazed that never happened. Maybe if Pete Ham hadn't fucking killed himself. Oh, yeah. Well. Maybe we uh, ride the next and we year, get... Uh, spoiler we get, alert. Oh, yeah. And we get um, uh, Herb Albert to executive produce. Herb's, yeah. Herb's yeah. the EP. <laughs> Patton's, Patton's writing. Yeah. She's the head of the we writing staff. Ronnie Wood's daughter to 
She can be the showrunner, I guess. Yeah, she can provide like what do you call it? Um Um So, it was just raining. I got really I'm man, I am off today. It was just it's been a weird day. It's very humid outside and it keeps going from like bright sun to rain and back and forth. So, I just looked outside and every house I can see out my window, the roof is steaming like crazy, like it looks like it's on fire. Because it did the thing where it poured rain, and then now the sun's out, and so everything's just, like, steaming away. Cool. Um, she can be, like, the fact-checker type person who's like, no, 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 it wouldn't have happened like this, I know, because my dad was a, a rolling stone from, oh. you know. Yeah. So, but, I mean, I've heard that she is the person who goes in on every movie on IMDb and puts in all the anachronisms in the goof section. That makes, okay, that's good. So, yeah, we need yeah. her on set. Um, let's see, so Young Sheldon starring, of course. Of course. Yeah, well, because well, instead of we'll rock get young fans, Sheldon and normal yeah. Sheldon, yeah, rock fans are a little passe. Yeah, exactly, and it'll be like the audience knows, so it'll be kind of a wink to the audience, but they're playing different characters in the yeah. show. Yeah. But instead of uh, rock fans, because that's passe now, it's going to be a manager living with this up and coming boy band where young Sheldon's the lead member. Yeah. Like One Direction style, and then old Sheldon's gonna be like the lead singer or something of like a cool indie band or something. Like a blur situation. Yeah, 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 sure, sure, yeah, that kind of thing. I love this. This is a great premise. I actually <laughs> kind of don't hate. It. Like, this is one of those where you almost wish you knew someone because you're like, this feels like a real show. All right. Um, so they moved in with the Mojos and Bill Collins. Um, thankfully. Thank God not Barnabas Collins. That would have been a disaster. The next year, they did a four-song demo uh, with Ray Davies, of all people, producing. Uh-huh. Yeah, he took an interest in them. Uh, and then they also swapped out guitar players with, again, future Badfinger member Tom Evans coming into the group. So they're almost Badfinger now, but but not quite. So they kept playing around London. They did pretty well. They were, for the time, I guess a very poppy band. They did a pretty big mix of, like, Britpop, Baroque pop, uh, you know, psychedelic stuff. They basically just played All the whatever. 60s bullshit that they thought would make money. Yeah, basically. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, although, interestingly, not really the blues. They're, like, they're definitely one of the few people we will ever talk about on the show who were not that into the blues. Well, here's my thing. If you're not into the blues, you're not into the blues, right? If none sure. of these guys were in the blues, they only tried everything else out to like make money. They're not going to make money playing the blues. The only reason everybody else did the blues was because they were like fucking nerds, basically. Right. Yeah. So, um, and so for that reason, Eric Clapton was like, I'm out. Yeah. Um, in 1968, uh, Barnabas Collins, Bill Collins, invited Mal Evans uh, of Hammer fame. And Peter Asher, uh, Jane Asher's brother, I want to say. Yeah. Wait, what'd you say? Um, Who is it? Peter Asher. Yes, of also the band Peter and Gordon. Sure, why not? It's true. Um, It's a real thing. I really had no idea that that was Peter Asher. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, I say like I wrote a lot of. I fucking am a Badfinger fan, and I don't know who Peter and Peter and Gordon is. So, you know, Sirius XM only teaches you so much, folks. Yeah. Oh, do I need to play the theme song? (laughs) <laughs> yeah. No. Uh no, actually. I listened to it a lot this week, but nothing came up worth talking about. Um So, uh so Collins invited Mal Evans and Peter Asher to an Ivy show. Uh somehow he met them and got them to come. 
uh, Mal spent the entire time talking over uh, the band and trying to tell them about how he thought where they should play their next show. Um, but uh, that was a really bad get back joke. So he invited uh, Mal and Peter Asher to, the, to an Ivy show and they were impressed. Uh, so Mal uh, played the band's demo for every member of the Beatles, I assume over top of them trying to record Talking. their own music yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're like having a business meeting and he's like, hey guys, did you actually hear this demo yet? I've been meaning to play it for... He, he um, took Maxwell's Silver Hammer that they were playing on vinyl off of it and smashed it on his <laughs> knee and then put the Ivy's demo like, This on. is real good shit. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so played it for every member of the Beatles till he got their approval to sign the band. So they signed in July 68, like we said, the first non-Beatles to sign to Apple Music. Ah. Well, the and Pretty Apple exciting Music shit. was originally supposed to just be the Beatles. Is that correct? Um, that's it was originally created from what I remember. It was originally created uh cuz it was when they signed Alan Klein. Yeah. It was originally created as basically just a way for them to alternately get their money taxed right because they would do better if they had this corporation instead of and and then also they didn't want to be beholden to i think it was emi right or parlophone either yeah they didn't want to be beholden to the record label trying to get them to like do an album on their timeline and so they they started it there originally intended to like get other artists i I guess i don't really know to be honest um i thought that was the gist like that's what i vaguely remember from i think that's very possible but then once they started it it was like well why not sign other bands it's basically a win-win and then it was a (laughs) lose-lose yeah so um yeah so they signed badfinger and well i mean they signed the ivies excuse me uh, and they start recording uh, in, ses- in sessions produced by Mal Evans and uh, in some of his earliest producing sessions, Tony Visconti, who would go on to, uh, at least in his early days, most famously work with uh, T-Rex, but yep. would do a lot of other stuff later in the 70s and 80s. Uh, and they released two singles in 1968 and 1969. They released the song Maybe Tomorrow, uh, which charted well in Europe and Japan, but stalled out in the rest of the world. And then Dear Angie uh, was released the next year, and that really that was kind of only released in Europe and Japan, or it was really focused because that's where their previous single did well. And then they had an album in I think 1968 called Maybe Tomorrow that came out. It was released. It they started releasing in Italy, Germany, and Japan because again that's like where they had sold well. And then unclear well, whether they, they ever I planned. Mean, you know the Axis powers of World War II really loved their music. <laughs> That's that's a really good point. They're quite the yeah, all these nice white and blonde guys on the cover. Um, so they unclear whether they were going to release it more or whether this was just like a weird timed business decision. But Alan Klein apparently like cut off the um, the distribution. What do you call it? Thank you. The distribution um, as like a cost saving thing when he you know was trying to cut costs, but. Some people think that they weren't ever going to release it in more areas than that. So hmm. anyway, but after that happened, uh, Ronald Griffiths, the bass player, uh, gave an interview where he was talking about how he was frustrated with Apple, you know, saying they kept submitting songs, but they would always get rejected or if they got accepted, would get a really limited release like their album or their mm-hmm. other single. So Paul McCartney saw this interview and uh, thought, oh, I have to fix this. 
Um, well, first he thought scrambled eggs, and then he thought he had to fix yeah. this. Um, so he reached out to them, offered them a song that he had written for Ringo's upcoming movie, Magic Christian Music, his star, his star yeah. turn, Ringo's. Um, and so offered them this song to record as their next single to kind of try and get uh, their feet under them as a group. So they obviously accepted fucking Paul McCartney is giving you a song, uh, which yeah. apparently was at the time he was going to submit it for Magic Christian Music, but was also being considered to be on Abbey Road. So that's kind of interesting. Yeah, well, I'll talk more about my sure. relationship with the song a little bit later when we Sounds play it. Sounds good. But... Um, so they were really excited to record it, uh, and they were met by Paul in the studio uh, where he said, I'm going to give you this song, but only if you record it note for note like the demo that I made you. Yep. Um, and you are not allowed to put your own spin on it or to rewrite anything because, well, quote, this is the hit. Not the demo that he made for them. The demo that he made for the Beatles. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. His demo, I guess. Yeah. That he had. So they recorded it. I I assume note for note. Although when we get to the song, I have one like big problem with the song that is weird to me that this is how he told them to record it. But we'll, we'll get there. Not we'll, we'll get into it. Pete. So yeah, they recorded it like he told them. Uh, and the song was called Come and Get It. And they will release it soon. But anyway, so the, the recording goes well. Paul's impressed. He is contracted to provide two more songs for the movie. And he decided to, instead of instead of write two more songs or record them himself, uh, he would just choose two of the Ivy's existing original songs and then he would produce them and submit those as his contractual obligation to submit three songs for Magic Christian Music. Yeah, that sounds right. Which I kind of love. I mean, it, it's it's a win-win. It feels a little cynical, but also I'm a bad finger fan, so I'm not going to argue with Paul taking oh, him under his wing a little bit. Yeah, a movie with Ringo in it. I'm not going to attach my name to that. We're <laughs> throw the fucking Ivies under yeah. the bus. Um. Uh. So anyway, so he produced. Uh. I think. Well, I don't know. It's weird. The Wikipedia doesn't credit him for everything that in the body of the wikipedia page they say paul did like they say he produced and then you get down to like producers and he's not listed so anyway uh but he was he worked on carry on till tomorrow which was a again an ivy song that then he helped create in its current version that became the main theme for magic christian music and then the song rock of all ages was a song he was supposed to provide for a party scene uh <laughs> yeah so and then another beatles connection uh George Martin showed up uh, at Paul's request to do the string arrangement for Carry On Till Tomorrow. So we get some Martin-esque strings, as yes. someone would say. Yes. So now we get to, they're looking at releasing Come and Get It as the first single, uh, you know, in advance of this movie coming out. And they decide, Apple decides that they should change their name from the Ivies. They think the Ivies is out of date. It sounds more like it is so 1966, which to be fair, it is. Um, yeah. That, it you know, like in the, the mid sixties, you know? yeah, there was a huge, the blank S yeah. title thing, like the Beatles. Um, mm -hmm. But by the late sixties, at least new groups, that was not in fashion anymore. And the Ivies were basically a new group. Yeah. <laughs> like, 
for all intents and purposes, no one outside of like the London scene and maybe a huge record nerd would, would know about them. So, um, so they decided to change their name from the Ivies. Apple wanted to have some input. John, here's the Beatles suggestions. John suggested glass onion. Sure. Dude. Fucking the pre like P R I X, like the grand prix, which I think is a terrible name. Well, and Cagney's, which all three of those names mean that those were what John suggested as a joke. Motherfuckers who named their band, the Beatles trying to name another fucking band. Mm hmm. But then John went on to name another band, the Plastic Ono Band. So, which I like maybe the pretty worst. well, but no, I think that's uh, a bad those, name for a band. Okay, all three of his suggestions are garbage. Those like are garbage. they have to have been a joke that someone at Apple thought. Oh well, John was he suggested the Cagneys, and Paul's like, "That's he realized he was joking, right? <laughs> you idiot." Um, everyone at Apple just doesn't understand dry senses of humor, and they're all British, so it's really confusing that they yeah. don't understand it. There's uh, one American Paul, guy taking uh, minutes for the yeah the meetings. Um, Paul suggested the name Home, which is also terrible. I don't mind um, that. And then Neil Aspinall, who is I feel like he shows up and get back. He's kind he of does. a you know acolyte Apple Records guy. Yeah. He supposedly threw out Badfinger as a title um, because that came from the working title of little, with a little help from my friends was Badfinger Blues because Paul's finger was like broken when they recorded it or something. So he threw out the idea bad finger and that's what they, I think the Ivies got to choose. And so that's the one they chose. But then later George Harrison said that he was pretty sure it came from the name of a stripper they knew in Hamburg named Helga Fabdinger. And they just <laughs> flop. They just switched that around to be bad finger. That's pretty um, good. Which yeah. Cooler if it's George's, but either way, yeah. kind of an interesting connection. Yeah. So, um, so they decide to release the new single and album under the name Badfinger, which I like. It's fine. It's definitely better than any of the other names we've talked about in this episode. Like it was the oh, best yeah. of the options. I'm not saying it's an amazing name, but I mean, yes, it is the best we've talked about today. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of like it. I don't know. It, it, I think it, I think it works. Uh, so at the end of 1969, they fired Ronald Griffiths uh, because he was the only married one and he had a kid. Uh, so he was like busy a lot. And then apparently Tom Evans, their newer guitar player, didn't like him and fired him. And the drummer uh, said that he wasn't even consulted about it. Huh. So it might have been it might have been very personal, weirdly. So they hired someone else. They ended up hiring another guitar player instead and had Tom Evans just move to bass, which is weird that's like a very rare thing i feel like for a band to do especially Beatles. yeah i guess yeah but like at this time in history when there's just like a million and one really great musicians yeah. around like you couldn't just find a bass player instead you had to get See, this but, player, but because whatever. of that happening we got paul mccartney as a bassist which is like fucking primo shit True. so yes but you know their bass to be fair tom is a better bass player than ronald griffiths but He's not like that. He's not incredible. So it's fun. So let's see. Let's uh, let's take a break real quick and then come back and talk about the actual album. Do some track by track. All right. Let's take a quick break. How about that? Oh, no. 
Hey, and welcome back to the 27 Club. We're talking Pete Ham and Badfinger. Um, and that was a, a little taste of midnight. Okay, who am I, DJ? Uh, yeah, so, next we're coming up with Herman's the, Hermits, and they're singing <laughs> Henry VIII, I Am. It's always Herman's Hermits. Um, and, uh, you know, I like some Herman. Uh, this is, we don't even need the theme song. Very quick, serious XM thought. I like Herman's Hermits, but on 60s Gold, they always manage to play Herman's Hermits songs that fucking what? suck. They don't manage to play, like, the five that are really good. Okay, so. name any good Herman's Hermits song. I really, really love the song Leaning on a Lamppost, or Leaning on the Lamppost. I mean, like who needs the Beatles when you've got Herman's Hermits? I'm leaning on a lamp. I just think they're not a good band, but I don't. I'm not saying they're a good band. I'm saying they have some good songs. Peter, before the show, you said we should get matching Herman's Hermits tattoos. Peter Noon has a vice grip on '60s Gold right now, and I won't stand for it anymore. (laughs) Um. So anyway, uh, so come and get it. The single came out in December '69 in the UK and January 1970 in the US. It hit the top ten in both. Uh, markets so Badfinger broke through thank god finally so and then this album so as we talked about it's called Magic Christian Music it has three songs from the movie Magic Christian Music it is not the soundtrack album to Magic Christian Music the movie (laughs) so here's the deal so basically so the movie came out in 1969 um well actually in the UK basically there's the same timing as that single it came out at the end of the year in 69 in the UK and February 1970 in the US. And so Apple Records was going to release the soundtrack album to it with these three songs and then a bunch of like the instrumental yeah. stuff from the, um, you know, the score. Which um, nobody wants. Yeah, exactly. Nobody wants it, but they were supposed to do it. And... Late in the production of the movie, the producers added a different song than Badfinger's uh, songs. They added the song Something in the Air by Thunderclap Newman. Great song. Which then meant that Apple couldn't get the rights to that song, so they couldn't release the actual soundtrack album. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So instead, so there was an actual soundtrack album that came out, but instead, to as a fuck you, I guess, to the producers for doing that, or to like, you know scuttling their plans to have like the official soundtrack album they still they released this album with all the Badfinger songs but they still titled it magic christian music so that people would think it was the soundtrack and buy it anyway yeah okay so as just like a weird ploy that's so weird so anyway so that's why it's called magic christian music even though it has almost nothing to do with the movie and Badfinger didn't like work on the movie or you know really it's it's a tenuous connection at best but it is for all intents and purposes, yeah, marketed and and people think of it as the soundtrack to that to that music or that movie. Yeah. Okay. Um, but all of this meant they had to rush the release of this album, and so it came out right when the single did. Like they released their first single and then released this album in January 1970. Mm-hmm. So they kind of not bungled, but for the time, you usually wait a few months and like build up, you know, anticipation and all that. So they they didn't screw bad finger like it still did okay as an album but uh it was a little a little weird obviously apple had weird priorities at the time yeah they always do yeah so magic christian music released january 1970 it went to number 55 in the u.s fine not great 
And hmm. I could not find it anywhere what it went to in the UK. So question Probably mark, didn't question even come mark. out in the UK. <laughs> Maybe not. Yeah, it wasn't released. Uh, so I think we're ready for some track by track. We have leading off the Paul McCartney written. Paul McCartney plays percussion. Tom Evans is singing the lead. Uh, come and get it. Oh, so when does Linda come in on this song? <laughs> Just wait till the bridge. So, yeah. Um, what I was going to say earlier, my relationship with this song, I have... When I was like 12, I saved up a bunch of money and I bought uh, the Beatles anthology disc set. Mm. So, and then, you know, when I got an iPod, it went onto that. So I've heard the Beatles anthology so many times. I have listened to the anthology maybe as much as I've listened to the albums. And so sometimes when a song like this comes up, I'm like, what, what Beatles, like this is a Beatles cover. I know it. Yeah. What fucking album was that on? And I cannot think of what it was on. Yeah. Um, but this is on Anthology. Uh, Paul McCartney, yeah, he recorded it to be on Abbey Road um, yeah. or as a demo. And so I was like, oh, this is a Paul McCartney song. And yep. if I had never heard of the band The Beatles, if I had never listened to Wings, if I had never, if I didn't even know who Paul McCartney was, I would hear the song and be like, Oh, that's a Paul McCartney song. I would just know instinctively yes. somehow. It is it is so Beatlesy. It is so Paul McCartney. Um, it's so late '60s '70s McCartney. Yeah. Uh, which makes sense. He made him record it exactly like he wanted. And yeah. I was gonna say my one my one strange thing with uh, this song is that the bass line is really bad on it. And so it's wild to me that Paul was like, no, play that single note bass line the whole time. Like, yeah. it is a, it, it's one of the things that bothers me the most about this song is that it's a great song, but the bass line is just like thud, thud, thud at the bottom and it doesn't do anything. So, yeah. Uh, do you want to hear a little bit of the uh, I would studio love to. demo? Let's Paul do McCartney? it. From the Beatles anthology. Demo take one. Yep. Demo take one. Who is that? Glenn's John? Idiot. What a stupid name. You never should have showed me this. Because it's so much better? Because it's really fucking good, yeah. yeah. Why, like, obviously the Beatles are going to do it better, but... Yeah. Like, just even the demo is like... That's, and that's so, Peter, fantastic. I don't want to foreshadow the rest of this album for you, mm. my opinion on it, but... I mean, I... Yeah. Yeah, just imagine me having this oh, in sure. my mind. Interesting. Okay. I mean, I think any song in the literal world is better with Paul McCartney singing it. So it's pretty great. No. Um, but this isn't a Paul McCartney podcast. So. Fantastic. All right. Well, now we get to. Second song, Crimson Ship. Mm-hmm. 
Well, and this one was off of Magical Mystery Tour, right? <laughs> yeah. I think yes, and then the chorus to me is not super Beatlesy, so. I think it's very Beatlesy. I don't know, man. I don't know. Just like the top of the range chanting thing. I like. Look, the whole album is gonna be Beatles E. I was gonna get to at the end how there are specific songs that I think they were working off of, specific Beatles songs that yeah. I think they were actually trying to copy. This is one where I don't think there's a direct analog. I agree, there's a sound, but there's not a there's not a Beatles song that I think they were trying to copy here. Um, all this being said, so far, I'm two for two on fucking loving these songs. These are great songs. I mean, they're... I love the... That's not Harrison playing the guitar, but they're ripping them off wholesale. <laughs> I love the late 60s, you know, pop, again, Beatles sound. It's fantastic. I and mean, these guys are like doing the Beatles, a good, but... a great job of being like eight-tenths the Beatles, I guess I would say here. I mean, they're even doing the McCartney-Lennon thing where somebody's... Yeah. They're not they're doing, doing harmonies per se, but they're just singing it in the background in a Lennon voice. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I think they're harmonizing for the most part. And that's one of the things I do really love about this album is that it's almost all dual lead vocals kind of at the same time. But with... Oh, it is a harmony. Like, I love the harmonies on this chorus and stuff. I think... Pete Ham and Tom Evans do a really good job of doing like double lead singer duties here. Um, although Tom Evans will take a significant step back later in terms of singing, but for this album, I think it really works again because they're trying to copy the Lennon McCartney thing. So yeah. it uh, it fits. All right. Yeah. So this is an old song that came out on the Ivy's first album. Um. This is Ron Griffiths, the now-fired bass player singing lead. He wrote the song. So this is music that I would call uh, post-Beatles but pre-Wings, where it sounds interesting, like late Beatles and early Wings. This yeah. could have been on Ram. I think this could have been on Ram. I also think this sounds like a lot of Beatles songs, but you're definitely right that it is yeah. the Paul McCartney style, yeah. for sure. Yeah, this album reeks of McCartney. <laughs> uh, but I love it. Like, I really like the um, the clean guitar tones really nice. The guitar work in the background here is really good. Just like uh, Tom Evans, just like noodling around behind the melody is awesome. And I really like the vocal take. This is, I think, the only song Ron sings in their career and i really like his voice on this he's kind of doing paul and ringo at the same time yeah but i think it I works could... i like it this like guitar almost tone is jazzy amazing. guitar happening in the background and then we get our first little hit of strings which 
you know, George only does the strings on one song, but I think all the strings on this are really fantastic. They add a nice depth here, and they ride the Beatles line where the strings add depth without making it sound like 60s pop. Like a lot of 60s even rock hits sound more yeah. like kind of... Um, That's why George Martin made a million dollars yeah. every song he fucking produced. But I'm saying he only did the one song on here, so like... Is that this one? No. Oh, but okay. I'm saying that's well, what I'm saying. They copied well, that then. string thing yeah. really well throughout the rest Sorry. of the album. So yeah, I, I misheard you. I thought you said he did this one. Oh, and I was good. like, yeah, yeah, it sounds like George Martin. It's great. Yeah, it does sound like him, but no, he won't. He won't show up till later. I'm like who else did? They don't credit any. They don't credit anyone else for doing string stuff. So I wonder if it's just the producer, you know, like Tony Visconti. It's know. Magic Alex. Yeah, probably. Uh, I'm pretty sure that guy doesn't actually exist, but yeah. Um, we can get to Fisherman, uh, also from the original Ivy's album, and this is another lead singing from Tom Evans, lead vocal. Between the darkness and the light, as the stars fade out of sight, I can hear his shiny boots fall on the sand. Deep in the heart of Texas. I don't know why, but that reminds me of that song every... Yeah. Maybe it's his weird country voice? Is that what he's doing? No, I think he's being very British. Not country, like, country music, I guess. Like country guy. I don't... For some reason, it reminds me of Deep in the... The stars are bright. What is that Mm. song? I don't even know. Yeah. Yeah, I really like the group vocals when they come in here i've always really enjoyed the weird psychedelicness of them making with someone's like someone just doing foley work of the guy walking on the sand at the beginning yeah it's like very dumb and very 60s but it's always charmed me this one i would say with the exception of like the group vocals on the chorus is the least beatlesy so far yeah i would say yes and no i think i think it definitely kind of has its own sound, but I definitely think there's analogs in the Beatles catalog. Oh, I mean, one. yeah, he's, he's doing John Lennon. He's <laughs> pretending to be John Lennon. I know that much. But, like, I guess the the rest of the music to me doesn't sound very Beatles-y. Yeah. So I know it sounds like the song's just picking up, but it doesn't really go anywhere super new, so we can probably move on here. I didn't hear a word you just said, Pete. Oh, I said it sounds like the song's picking up just now, but I don't think it actually goes anywhere from here, so we can just... uh, Yeah, there's about 20 seconds left, so Midnight Sun. So this is one of the other ones from the movie. Um, this song slaps all up and down, man. This thing rules. This is the best is, song on the album. Yeah, it is one of it is it's one of the best like up-tempo blues rockers I think ever that I've ever heard. This is besides Come and Get It, I think maybe the only song I've already heard. Interesting. All right. Yeah, I love it. The guitar tone is perfect. The guitar lines are really fantastic. I love They're the, not vocally yeah. they're not copying any Beatle, I don't think. Yeah. I, I would kind of I would kind of agree with that. 
Um, and then I just love, like, it's mid-tempo, but it feels upbeat. It's like driving mid-tempo kind of, but then also has like a swagger to it. I don't know, the rhythm of it, they really nailed. Where it's got like yeah. this kind of head-banging swagger to it, even though it's pretty mid-tempo and it's just fantastic. It's this type I of song it, done absolutely perfectly. I think it could be argued that musically it is kind of Beatlesy, like in a. Oh, absolutely. But the vo- the vocal take, it's I mean it's unlike anything we've already heard on the album, and it's not particularly Beatlesy. Yeah. But this is a good song. It is a good song. I so I found really inconsistent stuff on who was singing lead, so I'm not mentioning it all. I'm only mentioning it when I know for sure. So I'm not positive if this is Pete Ham or Tom Evans, but just speaking of the vocal take. See, but then that line is insanely Beatlesy. Yeah. The, when the guitar, like, when they get back into the verses with that I mean, low guitar line, it's it's very yeah. Ticket to Ride kind of. I'm trying to put my finger line. on exactly what song it sounds like. They're kind of. Uh, I would choose the single version of Revolution. To me, it sounds like as from the overdriven guitars to the blues rock thing to like the tempo. Sounds like they're trying exactly to make their own version of that. See, and my mind went to Revolution, but I feel like there's one that sounds a little bit more like I can't mm. think of it. That too. this that's this whole album. <laughs> it's yeah. like I know there's a Beatles song this is exactly like. Yeah. But uh, so now we get to Beautiful and Blue, also an an old Ivy song. Uh, they did re-record all these, by the way, and reproduce that. I, I for a minute. Until I was doing the research for this, I was under the impression the songs from their first record were just the exact same recordings. But no, they they redid them with at yeah, Apple that, Records. That makes sense because I was just always impressed at how like the production's like really this. good on this like 1967 album, you know. So yeah. And what Beatles song do you think they listened to before they recorded this? One? <laughs> Uh, so this is one where I didn't actually have a specific song, but just all of the style of it, like the strings in the background, the the vocal is like what they do for like across the universe and yeah, stuff like that, where very, it's like the like yeah. effect on the voice and stuff. Like yeah, it's they, very they just have a lot mystery of mystery tour era. Yeah, they have a lot of like hints of Beatles in there, but it's it's not specifically ripping off a single song to my mind. What do you think this would sound like if it wasn't produced like the Beatles? Um, see, but then this is like not Beatlesy at all. That guitar line, at least, like they never do a dual guitar line like. No, that. I don't. And I love but, like, this. The rest of it, for sure. Yeah, yeah. No, I know. Sorry, I was just. Yeah. Um. I think it would still work. Like, especially like the vocal effect to me is probably the most Beatlesy thing on here. Because yeah. you're right that it's like very John Lennon-y, but and if they just got rid of that, it would still be fine. I do think without the strings, it would lose a lot, which are the second most Beatles thing about it, probably. So, yeah, I don't know. And then you get to this like breakdown though, which I don't think sounds Beatlesy at all. This sounds to me like very, yeah. 
I don't know, not ELO, but like a later 70s group a little bit, like style-wise. You sang ELO. One of the few <laughs> notes I had for the end of this. Mm-hmm. Actually, you know what? Just remember that you brought up ELO, sure. and then remember that I have a note written, and we'll get to it sure. later. Uh... Let's get to Rock of All Ages. Uh, So Paul McCartney contributed piano to this song. Back to the blues rocker. This time they go slightly more up-tempo. Twist and shout. Yeah, it's like, once again, they're not like they're not really ripping off the Beatles because this just sounds like every Beatles like blues cover that they've done, like Twist and Shout or Long Tall Sally or something. Yeah. It feels more specifically like whoever's singing is really trying to just do Paul McCartney's blues shouty voice to me. Yeah. That's the part that sounds the most Beatles-y is it sounds like they're trying to be him doing Long Tall Sally or whatever. It's great. It works for me. Like I really love this song, but the the beetle over the shoulder influence is definitely there (laughs) because i can hear paul mccartney singing in my head and i'm like wow that'd Mm -hmm. be so much better um get to carry on till tomorrow this is not a particularly long album but it kind of feels long because there's 14 whole songs on there's a lot of songs on it although then they're all like two and a half minutes but you know so it doesn't end up being more than 38 minutes or whatever so carry on till tomorrow this is the the like title sequence track from magic christian music this has the strings arranged by george martin and this is tom evans again singing lead Interestingly, for being one of the songs done with Paul and with George Martin, I think this is one of the least Beatles on the album. Maybe the least Beatles song on the album. It is by far the least Beatles song on the album. Get out of here. They could have very easily made this a very Beatlesy song, though. Like, I if yeah. they had just taken it like three. Oh fuck! Oh fuck! <laughs> you gotta be in there. Yeah, like three degrees in a different direction, it would be a Beatles song. Yeah. Oh, where'd that fucker go? <laughs> oh, huge! Give me one second, Pete. Oh, yeah, take your time. Apparently, I'm the one doing the fucking Peter Sellers bit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, PJ's really battling this beat. I guess I'll just say about Carry On Till Tomorrow that it's obviously pretty... <laughs> oh, he's, no, he's using a hat to try and swap the beat. I think that'll work, honestly. Got it. He got it. Damn. It's impressive. Oh, he knocked a guitar down, too. That's bad. This is where I really... I don't love this song, but then when it kicks into, like, the rock part, it gets really good for me. I don't like this song at all. I don't... I was just saying I don't love it, but soon it's going to kick into the, like, quote-unquote rockin' part, and I like the... I like that part, so... Okay. 
Um, I got the B. I don't know if you heard it from back mm-hmm. there. Yeah. I got it, but I knocked over a guitar. Shit. Which guitar? One of Joe Walsh's or? Yeah. Yeah. That was a joke for literally nobody but me. Yeah, I, did, I didn't know what was going on there. <laughs> I'll explain after the show. It's not worth going into during the middle of this. Uh, I thought this had a part with like a guitar solo and stuff. Maybe not. I think I'm thinking of a different song. Oh no, here we go. Okay, good, because I almost skipped Finally. it. Finally. Yeah. Three minutes in. I'm not saying it's fantastic, but I do like it getting up to it. Like, the strings are really good. I like the strings, like, leading up to this part. And then I like the guitar. But anyway, we could move on to I'm in Love. Another one from their earlier album and another Tom Evans lead. Kind of a funky, like, boogie rock thing uh, that I, I think this is a really fun one. The keyboards are really cool on it. Once again, they do the John Lennon filter for Tom Evans. I was going to say this but is... But weirdly, because I mean, this sounds like a Paul song. <laughs> it sounds like a Paul song, for sure. They're doing the John Lennon filter on it, and it sounds like this is the first one he's trying to sing like George on. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I guess George kind of actually does do this filter occasionally. And you know what? I'm thinking of... Fuck, what's the song off Let It Be? This actually does kind of sound like a George song to me a little bit. Let me find it real quick. Um, I mean, the one where he told Paul. No, never mind. That's the wrong song. What's that? I said, I mean, mine. No. I'm trying to think of the other George songs on Let It Dig Be. Up. No. For You Blue. That's the song I'm thinking of. Okay. This kind of gives me a little bit of that, but. I could, I could hear that. Um, yeah, I think this is a fun, fun song. It's fine. Yeah. I like that. the 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 double tracking that they're doing is really good. Yeah. It's really, it's really, I think, well produced. I like all the instrumentation is, is is really great. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, like I said, like they do a really great job of just being like almost the Beatles. Um, in many respects, <laughs> but. Uh, we could get to walk out in the rain. So I just walked out in the rain. So this is also not very Beatlesy to my mind. It's it, it kind of sounds like whoever's singing is trying to do Paul, but it sounds more like a like early '60s kind of ballad to me, more than like a Beatles pop song from the later '60s. So I'm, I'm trying to put my finger exactly on what it sounds like. You're right, not a Beatles song that I'm thinking of. It has a great bass line on it though. Like it kind of like Roy Orbison-y almost to me. See, I'm thinking. To me, it's like mid '60s country, like, um, like definitely I think, American. Um, I think, I think, like late Roy Orbison counts as that almost. <laughs> and then it gets a little um, weird and psychedelicy here, of course. Once again, kind of like the, um, kind of like the the vocal from Dear Angie. I really like the vocal on it. Like the soft vocals that they do on this are really good. Can I t- okay, let me play what song I'm thinking of that it sure sounds That's exactly like. like. Yeah. 
And I wake up in the morning with like this kind of vibe. Yeah. She says hi. Yeah. Roger Miller. And I stumble to the breakfast. Anyway, I definitely Sorry. hear that. Let me look. So Tom Evans, I think, played bass on a couple songs on this album. Let me see if this is one of his, because I'm like, this is a great... No, it's, he didn't play bass on this. Well, Ron Griffiths it is a good bass line, made his money right. on here. It's it's just fantastic. This part gets a little, like, Beatles-esque, I feel like, when they tried to figure out the middle eighth. Yeah. But, and with the the stacked kind of vocal thing happening. Is but, that Yoko in the background? Yeah. So, or maybe like time in a bottle kind of <laughs> yeah a little bit like jim croce you know sure it's like yeah it's giving me like mid 60s i guess mid to late 60s like americana yeah all right angelique, angelique. this is also an old ivy's tune Um, I like this song, but it's pretty much just this the whole time. <laughs> yeah, I don't so, like this song. I'm like, I'm trying to really think whether it actually goes anywhere after this. I don't know that it does. Um, somebody, when they're doing that first Angelique on the choruses, yeah. they're doing a harmony, but somebody's sharp. And it bugs me. It bugs the shit out of me. Which is crazy, because, like... I can't. It bugs me. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's get to... That song is what it is. Knocking Down Our Home. So here's another more interesting one. This is also from their earlier album. But someone stole my heart today, so listen to my This sounds like the song Win- Winchester Cathedral by uh, the new vaudeville band. Um... Yeah, I mean, this in the tradition of the Beatles most famously, but we also heard a couple Rolling Stones songs this, that did this. It's like very much playing off that uh, 30s uh, kind of British like stage sound almost, like musical sound. Um, so with the, the backing instruments being like trumpet and clarinets and stuff. Um, I really like this song. I think... I really like the vocal delivery again. They're like soft vocals really work for me on this album. And then I really like the subject matter. It's weirdly like, it's so before it's time. This is such a thing that we're aware of now of like tearing down neighborhoods to build fancier neighborhoods in their place. And so it's like a very interesting song subject 
from 1970, and I'm sure they yeah. weren't writing it about like all the black LA neighborhoods that were being bulldozed during this time for white people to move into. But like, it's just it's weirdly like a prescient kind of thing to write a song about, um, and is very yeah. I like this quite a bit. Yeah. It is, it is it seems like you know when that thing you do they do all rock songs and then there's the one yeah. like and it's so good they're yeah. like slow dancey too all my yeah. lonely dreams yeah, is yeah. the name of the song it sounds like that to me i mean i understand this came out 25 years before that did but yeah. that's what it reminds me of well let's get to give it a try uh, uh the second apparently ron griffith's lead vocal Definitely not a Beatles song. No. <laughs> or, I mean, it, it kind of, it's got some Beatles-esque stuff. I mean, it does, but it's Now like, it gets into Beatles-y stuff. I think in every single song, I can point out something where it's, like, incredibly Beatles-y. Yeah. Yes, for sure. Beatles-esque? Beatles-y? Who knows? But definitely hints at their future is more of like a power pop band rather than the like baroque pop that most of this other album is yeah this sounds like uh like yeah like ron griffith's doing like a wow wow in the background you know like very it sounds much more like they're heading into the 70s now instead of yeah yeah a 60s pop tune uh and i think it works it's this is a solid solid song might be my second favorite one on the album after um i love these background vocals what was the other one i like carry on till tomorrow midnight song the background uh vocals are really good throughout and then i really really like the guitar tone where it's like pretty clean but super overdriven still i don't know this they are using like all these guitars are very overdriven for 1970 yeah I mean, I think, like, that, like, those big chords in the back, it's, like, yeah. clean, but it sounds like they have the, you know, turned up to the loudest it can possibly be still. They were, like, even in their mid-60s stuff, like, they dabbled in a lot of this, like, kind of softer, I keep saying Baroque pop, but that's really what it is. Um, kind of the, like, almost medieval pop that the Rolling Stones got really into for listeners of our show. Yeah. Um... They did a ton of that, but then they also got into like some heavier psychedelic stuff that doesn't really show up on this album, but shows up in that they become most famous for being like power pop guys in the early mid seventies. Yeah. So in that A way, T Rex. Yeah, I think they definitely lean heavy. Just as we're noticing, this just has such a huge Beatles influence that it wasn't. I mean, who knows what they would have done? I don't know if it's worth trying to guess, but. This definitely points toward their future. I don't know how much at this time they were like, we want to hit bang. I don't know. So maybe tomorrow is the last song. This was their like first big song. So they put it last. Is this the one that uh, Martin did uh, strings on? No. Which one did you do strings on? Carry on till tomorrow. Oh, okay.
So that's this song. <laughs> yeah. Good strings, kind of a little bit of an overwrought chorus, if you ask me, but solid. PJ, yeah. what was your what was your ELO thought you wanted me to remind you about? So it's not just that. First, okay, well, no, I will say the ELO thought first. This band to me sounds like if in, let's say, 1968, they kicked um, John Lennon out of the band and got okay. um, Jeff Lynne. And they were sure. like, let's make some like more modern music. Um, <laughs> and then I was thinking, this is, yeah, like if the Traveling Wilburys were like, if Paul and it was, if it was just Paul, George, and Jeff Lynn. Yeah. And then George Martin yeah. was producing. <laughs> That's kind of what this album sounded that. like to me. Yeah. Yeah, this is one I really love this album. Um, and it was the, Wait, I think. Peter, sorry, before we start either of our opinions oh, on sure. the album, I want to ask you a question. Oh, What is okay. your opinion of the band Greta Van Fleet? Oh, I despise them. Why? Uh, because they ripped off Led Zeppelin's sound wholesale okay. for like two songs and then tried to pawn off their originals as the other few songs that they had. And their originals were both bad and a completely different genre of music. So it just didn't make any sense what they were doing. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Keep going. Uh, I think a key difference, PJ, me, being that oh, no, Led no, Zeppelin, no, 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 hey, no. Robert Plant and Jimmy Page did not handpick them to record underneath them and write no. some and play some songs that they'd written. So I think that's a key hey, difference hey, here. Hey, Peter, you're attacking me for no reason. I just asked you a simple question, and I'm not going to throw I it in your the, face later. I see I'm the just, faces I was just asking, Peter. Peter right. was just asking. I really loved this album for a long time, and I basically always just thought about it like, I love the Beatles. Here is basically more Beatles to listen to and I love it and I like other Badfinger that doesn't sound anything like this but like this album specifically it really does just sound like another band fully recorded a bunch of Beatles demos and I've I've loved it because I think they do a really good job on all of it um I like the production I like the vocals I think they're all good musicians um I mean yeah so I've always been a big fan of this I will say, listening to it again for this podcast was the first time when I'd listened to it critically and not just for enjoyment. And it did stand out to me much more than it ever had before how much it sounds like they're trying to be the Beatles a little bit as opposed to just playing in the same sound. Because, okay, so the thing with the Beatles and people playing in the Beatles sound is that like not actually a lot of people did it when the Beatles were around. And so like you got a lot of people trying to be the Beatles, but it was a lot more like bands just trying to hit the charts with singles that sounded like the Beatles. Yeah. Usually bands did not make it their whole thing for a full album like this. And so if you love the Beatles and their style of pop, this kind of mixing of orchestration and rock, a mixing of different genres and all that from the style, like a real focus generally on like melody over a lot of other stuff. Um, There's not a lot of other bands actually that you can go to like ELO is a pretty good one, but they get very seventies and like, I'm not, not overproduced, but just, you know, they kind of lean into different sounds and everything. Although Jeff Lynn definitely has the same mindset, I would say, or a similar mindset. 
Um, but like, there's just not I mean, a lot hell, of other. He was in a band with one of them. Yeah, exactly. There's just not a lot of other music you can go to aside from their solo stuff that really kind of hits that same thing for me. And so that's what I like about this album, aside from whether they're trying to copy or not, is just that like you are getting that same hit of like Beatles enjoyment, but just with some different songs that aren't Beatles songs. So this is the, like I said, this is the first time I listened to it and really realized how much it sounded like more like the Beatles than I had ever realized and to the point where I, I listened to this uh, while I was driving around a bunch this week, came home, pulled up my iTunes and was playing songs and then looking for the Beatles analog because like we were saying, every single song I was like, fuck, this is a Beatles song. What Beatles song is this? I found surprisingly few that I thought were like one for one copies and figured out, like we said, it's just a lot more than borrowing things here and there and then combining it into a different song. So it sounds like it should be off Magical Mystery Tour or it sounds like... You know, yeah, an Abbey Road B-side, but it's not quite. Um, Do you want to hear some of the examples I have? Yes, I do. I would love to. Before I give my final... well, Before I give my opinion, too. Yeah. So, Come and Get It is obviously the most obviously... The most Beatles-y because it's the only one written by Paul McCartney. But also, uh, it's very... Although I, I do think... It's not exactly this, so it doesn't work quite as well. But it reminds me a lot of We Can Work It Out, basically. Um, for Crimson Ship, I didn't find a direct analog. For Dear Angie... You can keep going. I'm just going oh, okay. as you say. It's got the jangly, you know, kind of mid-tempo thing. Obviously, it's a Paul song, so it's going to kind of sound, like, sound yeah. like that. See, to me... I'm not going to disagree with you, but to me it sounds more like later. I mean, it sounds like Abbey Road or early Wings stuff in my opinion. Yeah. So let's see. Dear Angie, I feel like is a weird, again, it's, it's not a wholesale copying of a song, but I feel like it borrows most significantly from Martha, my dear and dear Prudence. Uh, And not only because of the titles of all three of those having deer in them. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but it's like not piano based, so it's not exactly that, but the melody reminds me of Martha My Dear. And then like the instrumentation reminds me a little more of Dear Prudence. But anyway. Um and then Fisherman sounds a lot like again, it borrows mostly from like Mother Nature's Son and Bungalow Bill a lot to me. I was trying to think of Bungalow Bill earlier. Yeah. I feel like it's very Bungalow Bill esque. I already said about Midnight Sun, I feel like they're just trying to do the single version of Revolution again. Yeah. I I don't have the single version of Revolution on my iTunes. No worries. What? I thought you had the anthology. Oh, I do. Or I guess it's on... I have it on Past Masters, I think. Yeah, it's on Past Masters. I lied. I just couldn't find no. it because I spelled revolution wrong. Yeah. Let's see. What's the last one I had? Oh, well, I had a couple more, actually. Um, I'm in love, I feel like, is very much when I'm 64, but just they didn't want to make it sound too much like when I'm 64. Yeah. And then 
Angelique doesn't even sound that much like this, but it's also like, how do you not compare it to Michelle? <laughs> They're like, what's a different yeah. French girl name we can do? <laughs> <laughs> Basically. And then knocking down our home, I guess, I don't know, maybe Badfinger did come to this independently, but that 30s music hall kind of style Paul loves and through his yeah. whole career, like there's a lot of wing songs that borrow that too, like silly love yeah. songs and stuff. Um, so I feel like that borrows from that whole genre, like honey pie, silly love songs where it's like, again, I have no idea if Paul influenced them or not, but. So basically, I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm like this album, I, I don't know specifically because I'm not reading a bad finger book here, which I feel like is kind of the only way you're going to get enough like research and interviews to really know, but. I don't know whether it's a band that because they were a British band in the mid to late sixties, they just idolized the Beatles and were like, we want to sound like them because they're the greatest band working right now. And so then that's what they kind of ended up sounding like. And especially when they start working with them, then it's like, we're going to sound a little bit more like them because Paul's or literally they were, you know, producing songs. Yeah. They could be like, do the John Lennon thing on my voice. And they like, right. already knew the preset. Exactly. So like, I don't know yeah. if it's that where it's like a little bit of like, them just grow them like idolizing this band and then getting the opportunity to sound like them and being like, we got to take this or whether this is them coming into Apple with all their own songs and Apple saying, eh, we really think you should sound a little more like the Beatles though. Let's, you know, like produce it like that. And I, like, I don't know if they were super happy. I will say their next album still out on Apple sounds completely different. So maybe they didn't love this. I don't know, but okay. what are your thoughts, PJ? So, a lot of people compare Greta Van Fleet to Led Zeppelin. Mm -hmm. That has annoyed me because, yes, they do sound like Led Zeppelin, but it sounds like bad Led Zeppelin, like Led Zeppelin, but not as good. Right. Um, Anytime you actually like listen close to their guitar riffs, you're like, oh, they don't. Okay, they don't actually really play guitar yeah. that well. Or whatever. The one thing yeah. they've got going is that their singer, yeah, that's can what they sound got. exactly like yes. Robert Plant. Um. And he says he's going more for like an Aerosmith thing, which is such horseshit. Yeah. Um, he wholesale ripped off um, Robert Plant. However, and people are, another argument is like, oh man, it's just like listening to like a Zeppelin album. And so it's just like more Zeppelin. And I hate that argument because it's not. It's not like no. listening to more Zeppelin because it's not those brains behind it. It's not four of some of the greatest musicians of all time playing. It's like some fucking kids from Michigan who I don't care about. That being said, Badfinger's like the reverse of that, where these none of Welsh their vocals are... What's that? I said these Welsh motherfuckers stepping I into know. London here. But they, to me, it's like... N none of them can do a great vocal take of like any of the Beatles. They can all have the effects. They can all have the affect in their voice. Yeah. But none of them like that. That one song that I was like, I can just hear Paul McCartney singing this. Yeah. Um, he would have done a way better job at it, in my opinion. Um, but musically, they've got a lot of like Beatles stuff that they can copy wholesale. Where it's like, yeah, it, this sounds. Base, like if Paul McCartney was singing this song, I would say, yeah, that that's a normal Beatles song. Yeah. And that annoys me. I don't want to hear a Beatles sound alike band. Oh man. 
I never want that. I never yeah. want a sound-alike band. You know, I'm not going to listen to, like, some new folk artist duo that's out that sounds like Simon and Garfunkel. I want them to do their own shit, you know? Like, I just don't get the whole, like, need to have more. I would love more Beatles music, obviously. I'm a huge Beatles fan. But it is not the brains of the Beatles going into this, except that it kind of is. Right. That's why these guys don't annoy me nearly as much as Greta Van Fleet. But there are a lot of commonalities, I think. Uh, where A lot, yeah. But, like... Oh, you mean between them and Greta Van Fleet? I thought you meant between them and the Beatles. Oh, between them and the Beatles, but also, like, the Greta Van Fleet to Led Zeppelin line as, hmm. like, the Badfinger to Beatles line. I don't think it's exactly the same. Yeah. I don't think it's one for one, but... I, it, it annoys me, but not nearly as much as Greta Van Fleet. I just didn't love that I could, I could pick out songs and vocal effects or like guitar tones and things like that right. from Beatles songs. That just really bugged me, and I wish they would have had the good sense to be like, okay, well, let's maybe stray away from Beatles production. I know this is the first like Apple Records, yeah, non Beatles album, but. You know, like, figure something else out. They did well with, like, the double-track guitars. Yeah. Beatles never did that. But, like, find your own thing. <laughs> That's my thought. Like, I don't care if it was forced upon them. I don't care what it was. Find your own thing. It just annoyed the shit out of me. It yeah. bugged me so much. So that's kind of my thought on it. Um, yeah. It's probably harsh, but I did. <laughs> I. It was just grating on my nerves the whole listening thing until it came to a song where I was like, oh, "Okay, this doesn't really sound the, like the Beatles, uh, except for like how those drums are recorded. That's very Ringo, you know." Like, yeah. So I just I don't think I will ever listen to this again because it annoyed me. There are some good songs on it. I'll give them that. Yeah. But I just I can't do it. Yeah, I. I can't blame you for that opinion, but yeah, I can only say that I basically recognize all that, but just fall on the side of, but I like it still. So, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, well, that's, uh, that's magic Christian music by bad finger. Uh, do you know what you want to rate this as an album? PJ? Peter, this might be first? the furthest apart we land on a 27 Club album so far. Uh, what are you thinking? Well, here's the deal. When I put this on the other day, when we got to the fir- when uh, through the first five songs, I was like, God, this is a 10 out of 10 album. And then I don't love Beautiful and Blue. And then it was like five more songs that I loved. And then I don't really love the last couple songs there. Um, I'm going to say a 7 out of 10. But I, I like, for a minute in my life, this would have been a 9 out of 10, by the way, just in terms of, like, I got really into Bad Finger for a while there. That's so. crazy to me. Um, I know. This is, like, a 3 for yeah. me. <laughs> All right. That's been Magic Christian Music, the, uh, the most Beatles-esque album you've never heard. Yeah. <laughs> it's maybe well, the way to describe like, that. And then, like, it... Not only is it Beatlesy, it's also very wingsy. So like, I mean, I think that's just purely 
the Paul McCartney. It's Paul. Uh, yeah, Spike. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which it's very Paul McCartney. Yeah. Except then you're right that they keep doing the John Lennon vocal filter, and then they do copy George's guitar tone sometimes. Yeah. So. Oh well. Yeah. Well, um, I'll see you on the other side of that finger, and we'll see you at the crossroads. A Beach Boys Boys production. So, What's your favorite name of a band? What's the best named band? Oh, man. Do you think? First of all, any band that has a funny name sucks. Like, even if I love the band, that's a bad band name. Like, like Arctic what? Monkeys. I yeah. love Arctic Monkeys, but that's a trash band name. Why do you think they that's were a like, funny band name? Why do you think it's not them trying to be funny? I don't get it. Naming themselves the Arctic Monkeys? Yeah, I don't get it. I don't know. I think it's just like supposed to be random and off the wall. Oh, okay. They started okay. when they were like <laughs> 17. No, I thought you were saying like uh, with an actual joke in it. And I was oh, like, no. I, I guess know, I'm saying like jokey or like non-serious. Okay. Thank you. you know? Okay. Yeah. I thought it was a pun and I was like, I don't get that. Oh, pun. no, no, no. Yeah. So like that kind of name sucks. And then I also do not love names with like band in the name i don't hate them but like allman brothers band i don't really love and the band i don't really love like i know the band is supposed to be like the classic like greatest band name of all time but i don't think it's that clever personally i think it's good well do you know where that came from so i think it's fun as bob dylan's backing band i think that is awesome not how it happened though oh i thought it was they had a different no 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 they had a different um name uh, when they name. were his backing band okay no no they just didn't have a name so like when they oh. were his backing band but then when they came out with an album the album had or no they had um a name they were called the crackers um, okay they wanted to be called the honkies and then okay the album or the record label really didn't like that so okay. they wanted to put it on the cover of the album because it was music from uh big pink uh, they wanted yeah. to put their the, their name on the cover of the album, uh, and then the record label was like, "We're we're just not going to do it, and we're not going to tell them." But then in the, it's a gatefold album, so you open it, and it's got a picture. It's either yeah. a gatefold or it's the I think it's a gatefold. So you open it, and it's a picture of the band and all of their families, like their parents, their kids, just everybody. Mm. And then next to it, it just says yeah. the band with all of their names underneath it, and so everybody just thought they were called the band. Oh. So they just released it without a yeah. band name because they well, didn't want to do that. They didn't. Yeah. They had a band name, but uh, the yeah, like the record label but just they, didn't put it on yeah. the record. Oh, well, I like that a lot more now. I also like what I thought the idea was, which I also liked, is just that they were Bob Dylan's backing band, and he would just introduce them as and which is the also band pretty cool. Yeah, instead of having a name for them, which I think which I always thought was funny, but then annoying that they just then became their own yeah. band as the band, but. Uh, well, I like it more now, I guess, because I thought they thought they were being clever. So, <laughs> uh, ugh, boy, I guess I kind of 
I gotta say, I don't feel strongly about many band names. Usually I think they're all just fine or I hate them, but I, I rarely am like, that's an incredible I think band. I name. have mine and I think you're probably going to disagree. I think the okay, best name for shoot. a band is Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. I think the huh. Heartbreakers as somebody's backing I mean, it's band good. is a very yeah. good name. Yeah. I like it. I mean, I yeah, again, I don't hate it, but I also don't love it or like it oh, okay. that much. So you don't like it. Okay. <laughs> I think it's fine. It doesn't offend me. So what about way. bands like The Who? You don't love that? No. I also fine. think it's fine. I mean, it's fine. But it's just fine. I was just it's a shrug. Um, okay. Yeah. I'm like looking through my iTunes and I'm just not stoked on anything. The Darkness, I think, is also a really great band name for what they for The what Darkness they do. ain't bad. Yeah. yeah. I think we've talked about this on the show many, many times, but my very least favorite thing is when a single artist, even if they record with like a band in the studio, puts out their music under what is so just a name. So Tame Paula. Well, two things. Love. Yeah. Yeah, if they either release it under a band name, but it's just them, or if they release it under what is just a single name, but it's a different single Greta name Van than Fleet. their name. Like Diane, yeah, Greta Van Fleet or Diane Coffey yeah. is a good example too, because that's just one person, and then they just made up the name Diane Coffey to be like, this is like my music alter ego, which is okay. stupid as shit. So, so how do you feel about Father John Misty, whose real name is Josh Tillman? I hate you, that too. You hate it? I hate that a lot. I really despise that. Do you like Father John Misty, though? Oh, really? No. Yeah, I'd probably like him more, or like the name more if I I liked his music. (laughs) Boy, this is tough. Uh, I'm in the Ds, and I'm still not really into anything so far. I got to say, I feel like this doesn't count as a band name, but I feel like all the ones so far where I'm like, oh, that's good. Then I just am like, but that's just the person's name. (laughs) Like, I love Neil Diamond. (laughs) Like, that's a fantastic stage name, but it's just the guy's name, you know, so that doesn't count. Uh, There is an indie band. This is maybe the first one so far that I think I legitimately do love. And I don't even love their music, but there's an indie band called Faith Healer, which I think is a great name. I like Fleetwood Mac. Actually, I think that's a really good name. Okay. Um, it's weird because it's like it is their names, so I think I I should hate it. But yeah. like, I kind of just it's just a good name. I think the Whalers. That's really good. Like, because it's Bob Marley and the, the Whalers. Whalers. I tend to apparently like yeah. frontman and the something. Apparently, I guess Jimmy yeah. Buffett and the Coral Reefers. I think that's that's fair. pretty good. I know, but what for is, but... what the, for the but music Jimmy Buffett like does, it. it is absolutely right. Perfect. Yeah, uh... a tribe called Quest. That's all right. I kind of, I guess, Green Day. Boo! <laughs> I do really like Boo. Green Day. I think that I don't know, man. It's just simple. And like doesn't really mean anything. I mean, I'm sure there's a meaning. It's because they it, smoke so much like pot one day. Bring to mind other. That's what stuff, they're named after. They're named of, after a day know. where you smoke too much pot and get sick. They call it a green day. 
Oh, I thought it was something else, but I don't know what it is, so I can't. I can't say. Strawberry alarm clock. Uh, this is again just people's names, but it's the and, so you might like that. But I fucking love Hall and Oates. I was gonna say Hall and Oates earlier. Technically, that's not their real no. group name. So, but if it was their real group name, yeah. I would love it. <laughs> yeah, for anyone listening out there, go check any of your official Hall and Oates vinyl or CDs, and they will all be credited to Daryl Hall and John Oates, right? Like they were never credited as Hall and Oates. Um, something like that, or it was rare. Yeah. That they also, were, that's maybe. not. Their actual names? Daryl Hall and John Yeah, Oates? like they... Oh, like those are I stage names? I believe so, because Daryl Hall... Uh, Hall is spelled H-O-H-L, so it is kind of his real name. And then Oates... Um, mm. I don't remember what was, what the story with that was. No, his name... His real name is John Oates, but it was co- it was supposed to be called, like, Hulled Oates or something, like the band. Yeah. No, I think it's actually called uh, Hall and Oates. Maybe you're right. Hey, this is almost Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers kind of style, but I do really love the Jimi Hendrix experience. That's pretty good. It's really fantastic, and especially just with him, where it does feel right that it's like, yes, it it is an actual literal experience. <laughs> oh, you're right. The, you will be yeah. changed by listening to it or whatever. You know, like that's pretty that, good. It is good. You're right. They are they they are adamant that they are called Daryl Hall and John Oates, mm. which is yeah. wild. And just wild that it became such a common thing to call them, which makes sense, but like common enough to the point where that is a crazy fact that you're like, wait a second, I better go check my no, yeah, it's really Daryl Hall and Jonah. Like Yeah. Okay. Pretty What is your least favorite band name? I I know um, mine, I despise it. King I, Gizzard and Lizard Wizard is the worst name for a band. Yeah. It's it's bad. It's a bad one. Um, I dislike, ooh, I mean, there's a lot. Off the top of my head, I really hate the na- the presidents of the United States. I really I hate. I love that because the um, reason they did it was because they thought it was funny because it's too long. Yeah. I mean, I think I kind of hate any band name where when they where the origin story is them thinking it's clever you know like just anything like that i always just get annoyed by because it's never that clever Mm. i don't know bachman turner overdrive is a great band name (laughs) yeah um yeah and then i don't like like there's a lot of kind of arctic monkeys like i feel like there's a lot of early 2000s groups not like the yeah yeah yeahs and um the ting tings and like that was a whole thing too in the early 2000s but like Arctic Monkeys, like Japan Droids, I feel like there's a lot of just like let's just do random words kind of band yeah. names from that like early to mid 2000s era, and I hate all those yeah. band names too. Like Foxygen. Speaking of Foxy, yeah. like just weird random word band names, I really hate. Yeah, as well. So stuff okay. like that. This Ooh. has been a good tangent. It's a great tangent. I also hate if your band name requires you to constantly... I don't have a good example of this, but there are ones. If your band name requires you to constantly correct how people are saying it, you should have had a oh, different like, band name. Oh, uh, like... Uh, churches? Like the XX or the double X or yeah. churches. <laughs> yeah. Or, uh, oh, the really Aim. famous guy, Bonnie oh, yeah. Bear. <laughs> like... Or Haim, yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, I know it's their name, but still, it's like... They're just... There had to have been a better yeah. way... 
you know, and, and yeah, with like Bon Iver, like it's cool. You're cool for coming up with that, but also it's just annoying as shit. Cause you made every teenager mad when their friends were like, it's, it's Bon Iver, yeah. idiot. I mean, to name your band something in French when you don't speak French, a little, a little pretentious. Yeah. yeah. What were the others that I just threw out? You said something about a we got double to Bon Iver, I think Bon Iver or like Father John Misty might be like that type of band name, I think is by far my least favorite band name when it's just a guy or a single person and they insist on coming up with a band so, name like it's like they're a full band or tame something Impala. that combines everything you might hate where it sounds like a band name yeah. and I'm sure it is one guy, the tallest man on earth. Yeah, I yes, that. I despise that one. Yeah, there's it's a really lot of awful. really bad band names. It's pretty crazy how many I think are just objectively stupid and like, oh, it's, it's weird. Cause it's also like, there's, I feel like there, I don't have examples, yeah. but there's no way every like decent kind of classic, like the blank, you know, there's no way all those have been taken. So like, why are you starting yeah. new bands with like the name Arctic monkeys when it's like, you could have been like the pretenders is one it obviously yeah. exists, but like you could have like tried to come up with something yeah. like that that just hadn't been taken. Well, yet. those are out of fashion. So weird. Um, my least favorite band around. name is, um, my bloody Valentine. Mm, yeah. That's pretty bad. Yeah. That's not great. My chemical romance blows, yeah. although I love their music as I've oh, talked about, see? but that's a terrible, I band think it's name. a bad band name. Yeah. And all band. those, that's another good scene. Like panic at the disco sucks. Yeah. Fallout boy. Like those Red are really bad band apparatus. names. Theory of theory of a dead yeah. man. Actually. I mean, I hate the like tallest man on earth style ones the most, but those are maybe the objectively yes, worst are. ones where it's a full sentence as the as yeah. the band name, yeah. And it was earnest. Like I think almost all of those bands, or like most of their fans at least, still are just like, yeah. "That's great. That's so good, though." Yeah, <laughs> it's so For evocative. Sure. <laughs> it's like a short story as yeah. their band name. Oh, I so thought anyway, of maybe so the best band Tinker. name. Sorry, one more. <laughs> okay, okay, Dead no, Kennedys no. is a really good band name. I think think it's fine. I think it was better at the time. Like now no one gives a shit about the Kennedy family, but anyway, or about conspiracy theories. Well, they do, but not the classic ones. Uh, So shrug. That's how Badfinger did their name. 